Luke chapter 18. And we'll begin in reading verse 31. And then we'll jump ahead to chapter 24. So if you want to put a finger in chapter 24, I'll let you all turn there and you have your finger there and ready to go. Chapter 24, and we'll pick up in verse 7 there. That doesn't sound right. That's we'll, we'll start reading verse 1 through verse 8 in chapter 24. Beginning verse, so we're reading today in Luke chapter 18, beginning verse 31, and then we're going to go forward into chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. Now, as is our custom out of the New King James Version, God's Word says, Then He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For He will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge Him and kill Him, and the third day He will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Now we go forward to chapter 24. Beginning verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when, you were, when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Without a lot of pre-planning, we come to a text of Scripture that has to do with the resurrection in our uh, study of Luke. And as we have come to it uh, at this appropriate day, uh, we want to handle it in its turn in Luke chapter 18. And so we are just following around verse by verse. uh, And sometimes this occurs that uh, I really don't have to do a lot of work to um, bring in a a seasonal theme, and uh, in this case, this is uh, perfectly established for us. In verse 31 of chapter 18 is where we pick up this morning, where Christ again has just really presented this pattern of uh, speaking to the multitudes, of speaking with, with regard to His enemies, and then He's pulling His disciples away to speak specifically to them some added or additional teaching that he's not doing in his, really in his public ministry. So this is kind of his semi-private ministry that he has with his disciples. Uh, we know that it's likely more than just the 12, although the 12 here are there uh, are, are here listed. Uh, we know from other passages that this same statement has been said to other than just the 12 uh, in addition to um, this occurrence. And we'll look at that today. He takes the twelve aside and he wants to instruct them a little further. We are coming very close to Jerusalem. We are uh, on our way into uh, the uh, events of the Passion Week and he wants to prepare their minds a little bit. And it seems as we look at this that he fails in some respect 
to prepare them for what's coming. For we find right away the indication that they don't get it. He speaks it forthrightly, very succinctly and directly and right in order. And they're just like, what's he talking about? Um, but yet the purposes are there. We're going to see them fulfilled uh, in the Gospel of Luke here. And we're going to, so we're going to look back and we're going to look forward um, to really set the fullness of this passage here. Before we do that, let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, would you thank you for your word before us. We pray your Spirit's direction during this time for his uh, control and illumination, his uh, unction, his power. And Lord, we pray that you might uh, be pleased to work in us, that our hearts might be uh, softened, that our minds might be sharpened to hear your word, to understand it, and then to conform ourselves to his truth. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity we have to look in your word this morning. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we find uh, the twelve gathered together, and uh, he's saying, We're going up to Jerusalem. We're on our way. All things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And so there is an understanding that Jesus Christ is the Messiah is not just about the early stages and what the, the disciples understand in terms of the kingdom. That aspect, I think they were fully understanding of. In fact, that's what they wanted to hasten. They wanted this kingdom. What they did not understand was the fullness of prophetic teaching. That the prophets weren't just about the kingdom. That the prophets were also about uh, other things that had to happen with the Messiah. That this was necessary for the salvation not only of Israel. um, and, And of course, their thinking was salvation on a national basis as as reforming their nation uh getting their their themselves a king and a land and that's the the focal point although john the baptist has certainly tried to redirect that talking about the the lamb of god uh that there would be a sacrifice that um, would be the end of sacrifices we find uh, uh christ constantly trying to get them to move from physical ideas of the kingdom to spiritual ideas of the kingdom It's not that he's denying that there will be a physical kingdom. It's that the spiritual must come first, then the physical. And so he's trying to draw them out of that idea. And so their concept of of fulfilling prophecy was all about the kingdom on a physical level of national Israel. Jesus Christ is going to be talking about the prophecy on a very different level. He's going to be talking about prophecies that talk about the branch of David, the Lamb of God, the, the root of David that was going to come forward. And, uh, of course, we can immediately turn our attention, uh, as we did a little bit in Sunday school, we didn't really get to it, and it was the next thing on the list, so we didn't make it. We'll make it next week to Isaiah 53. And uh, we have that context, that we understand that the Messiah must suffer, that he will be rejected and cruelly treated, and it describes it in detail there in Isaiah 53, of what he will suffer, by whose hands, and for what purposes. All of that is full. And and when Jesus Christ says, the fullness of the prophets will be fulfilled, all that they say about me. And in case they were confused about whether this is the kingdom or about uh, the description of what would happen to the Messiah, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you'll recall that prophecy of God to Eve, that the seed of a woman would have his heel injured by Satan, but he would crush Satan's head. 
And so from there all the way forward, as we're going to see here in a little while, the prophecies concerning the Son of Man are going to be accomplished. He's going to list them off uh, as uh, regarding the ones that uh, he is concerned about in the coming few days. It says, He will be delivered to the Gentiles, will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge Him, kill Him, and the third day He will rise again. He simply lays out very forthrightly for at least the second time to these men's ears. Here is the plan. Here is what is necessary. Here what the prophets demand. And there's a reason the prophets demand this. is because God has planned this from eternity past. He has planned this, that this is going to be His solution and the only solution to the sin problem the man is going to bring upon himself. So God has, in His love and mercy and grace, has determined that this would be the means by which men's sin would be dealt with and indeed one that would not violate His character in any manner. But let's go back to Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, we have that first statement, uh, or at least one of the first statements, we'll put it like that, one of the first statements in which Christ introduces this idea. So what I'm trying to get at is that They've been introduced to this. This isn't the first time they've ever heard this. Jesus Christ is trying very desperately to get them to grasp hold of these other prophecies of what must come before the kingdom. In Luke chapter 9, if you'll uh, let's start off in verse 18. And it happened as he was alone praying, the disciples joined him and asked. And he asked them, saying, What did the crowd say that I am? So the answer said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. Interesting that they already were discussing a resurrection. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God, the Messiah of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. This was early in his ministry saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. Uh, stipulating that if you're going to... Even the very means of His death was going to be a cross. The really the only difference between what happens in chapter 9, verse 22, and what we find here in our text here, um, is really the responsible party. Uh, the events of what's going to happen to Christ will be exactly the same. But it will be a matter of who's responsible. In chapter 9, he describes us as the leaders of Israel. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders of Israel. They are going to do this to me. And now we come here to chapter 18 and he says, I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles and they're going to do this to me. I say, well, he's contradicting himself. Well, we know better, don't we? And that is from our reading in Mark this morning. We see that the first ones to, to strike Christ were not the Romans. They were the Jews. Who struck him in that illegal uh, meeting throughout the night and, uh, and spat upon him and did much of this. That it was the Jews in, in, complicit with the Romans who demanded his sacrifice or his sacrifice his death on the cross, his crucifixion. We find that, that Christ here has presented to them both, that both will be responsible, have their part to play in all of this, but that ultimately 
They will not have the victory. This is not them winning, nor is it about the kingdom being set back or the plan of God being uh, thwarted. Rather, this has been the plan all along. And the prophets reveal that. It is when we understand that Christ is fulfilling the fullness of the prophecies that we begin to realize that um, Christ was well prepared for this. He has been made for such a time as this. And He's trying to prepare the hearts and minds of His disciples for what is about to come about. As difficult as it will be for Him, it will be also difficult for them. They will um, have to deal with some of the aspects of of, uh, rejecting Him, of demonstrating their fear, of their uh, lack of faith. Uh, All of that's going to come to the surface uh, in the next few days. And Christ is trying to prepare them with just the simple knowledge and they just aren't getting it. We might condemn and say, well, how foolish are they that they can't understand what He's saying? I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, how much more plainly can you say what Jesus just said? I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked, insulted, spit upon. All of this happened. They will scourge Him and kill Him. It happened. Um, And the third day He will rise again. And, I mean, how much more clearly can He communicate that in in Luke 9, 22 and 23? He even stipulates and references the cross in that same conversation there. Um, And we might say, well, these people are just foolish. How can they not understand? These are simple words. His forthright statement, nothing hidden. We're not in any parable. Nothing like that. Well, I want to share with you that there are many weeks that some of you have walked out of this sermon, out of this sermon, out of this building, and not understood a word I said. How? Why do you say that? Because you didn't do anything about it, and it never impacted your life. And when we, the, the fact is, is that all of us hear what we want to hear. Invariably. We have selective hearing. I know we say that our children have selective hearing. And as God's children, it holds true too. We have selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear. If he had said something about getting a sword and about getting an army together and about uh, getting ready to take on the Romans, you think they would have understood? Oh yes, they would have understood perfectly and gotten right to action. But what can they do to this? This is nothing they wanted to hear. This is nothing they're prepared for. Um, they just walked in, Hosanna to the highest. I mean, we're on a hot, fast track here. I mean, we've got healings. We've got Lazarus walking around alive who was once dead. We've got him teaching in the temple. We've got him putting the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees in their place. He is just, it's just, they're just caught up in all of this. Certainly, this is just going to culminate in him bringing forth the kingdom and the power by which he was able to uh, feed 5,000 people, the power by which he was able to raise the dead, the power by which he could um, do anything, calm the seas. Certainly by that power, he could simply speak a word and the Romans will be gone. They weren't prepared to hear this. They didn't want to hear this, so they didn't hear it. Oh, they heard the words, but it didn't make any sense to them. And they're simply dull to it. Before we get too condemning of them, I want to just, again, remind you that this is not abnormal. 
We hear what we want to hear. There have been several occasions that I've given a series of instructions, um, whether it be to my children or someone else, and I give a series of instructions and then to watch them pick. You ever seen that happen? They pick the certain ones that they like and they seem to just be able to totally forget the other things in there, the things that they wouldn't enjoy doing. And here the disciples are not far from that. It says they didn't understand... They understood none of it. It was hidden from them, and so there's an aspect of their uh, that they had not received the Spirit. But even before the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them, uh, they're going to remember. And this is what we want to get to this morning: is that in this case they seem to be dull. It seems like they're just not with Christ at all, and and maybe perhaps that's why in Gethsemane they are so uh, unreliable for when his time of need. But I want to take you to chapter 24 at the resurrection. Christ spoke of it in chapter 9. He spoke of it again here in chapter 18. We come to chapter 24 and it has occurred. And we can celebrate that and, I want to, and we can talk about that. But in the context of our passage, we want to really look at the statements made at this point still to the women. But, and we're going to carry it forward in Luke a little bit farther along than what I've read. But we want to look at the remembrance. Back then, a few days ago and a few months ago, perhaps even years, uh, Christ has made this declaration. This is what is going to happen to me. I'm not saying it might happen. I'm not saying, I'm saying it is going to happen. It did happen just as he spoke. And uh, while we might think about not being attentive to his crucifixion, um, ultimately, that wasn't where his statement ended. He also said, and I will rise again the third day. And here they are again, unexpectant. And just as much as the betrayal and crucifixion caught them off guard, I mean, they weren't prepared for it. He had prepared them for it, but they hadn't received that preparation. And so they were caught off guard. And there they are. And, and Peter's be, cutting off an ear and betraying Christ. And, and you got guys running around naked and, and you know, running from soldiers. And you got all this chaos going on. Because they are totally unprepared. Because they've chosen to be that way. They've chosen not to hear Christ's teaching. And I find, again, the Christian community is largely in the same condition. We run around chaotic like, oh, how could this happen to us? Well, I think the Bible said you must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Why aren't we prepared? Why aren't we expecting it? Why does it surprise us? We've been warned. We've been forewarned. We've been told what to do to prepare. And much like the disciples, I find many Christians unprepared for tribulation, unprepared for trouble. I'm not talking about the wrath of God. I'm talking about the trouble the world gives true believers. We aren't strong enough to receive it. We haven't set our determinations in our heart for it. And the disciples were no different. They were totally unexpected. Totally Blown away by it. It just threw them into total chaos. And now three days later, they are unprepared for the rest of what Christ taught. We found them unprepared for His betrayal, unprepared for His arrest, unprepared for the trial, unprepared for His crucifixion. And now, you might think, well, now they're going to take three days, they're going to take some time to think about, did He ever mention this? No, 
They don't think about that. They're afraid. They're hiding. They're, they're thinking about, what are you going to do now? He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. He's dead. Dead, dead, dead. And they're showing up to take care of his body when they should have been prepared. They should have been expectant. They should have been on the edge of their seat saying, I wonder when it's going to happen. Now, 2020 hindsight, I would have tried to be in the graveyard. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you'd have really thought about it and said, all right, he said this, but he also said after three days he's going to rise again, I think I'm going to camp out and watch it happen. But it didn't happen. They were unprepared, unexpectant of the resurrection. What a horrible condition. We might say, well, maybe it was okay for them to be expected for his death burial, his death burial. Um, and, and I can understand it because they kind of didn't think the timing was there. Or they thought he was at the pinnacle and all of a sudden crashed down. But certainly now they've had some time to reflect and think and they remember what he said. But no, they hadn't. They were unexpectant of the resurrection. This, they were unexpected of tribulation. And again, what do we find among Christians in our society? Not only are we unexpected and unprepared for tribulation at the hands of the world, of mistreatment, but we're also really unprepared and really not expecting the resurrection. We really don't plan for it. We really don't anticipate it. And that's not always been the case. Um, believers of old have always anticipated the resurrection and have made uh, stipulations, even in their death, that gives full evidence that they were ready and prepared for the resurrection of the body. So we come, Christ is raised. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, women show up at the tomb. It's empty. Stone's gone. Well, it's not gone. It's been rolled away. It's empty. Two men stand by them in shining garments. Verse 4. Well, verse 4. We've got to start with the first half of verse 4. And I'm in Luke 24, if you're wondering. Did you make it there to Luke 24 with me? I'm not sure if I ever told you. Okay. Luke 24, verse 4. It happened as they were perplexed about this. Greatly perplexed. They even show up at the tomb. The, the, the stones rolled away. The place is empty. And they're going, what happened? Mary, did you get the right place? Did you mark the right one? Well, Salome, I, I'm pretty sure this is it. Magdalene. Did the soldiers take him? What's going on? They're perplexed. They're, they're dumbfounded. They're confused. They're like, what's happening here? A couple of guys show up in shiny garments. We know they're more than guys. They have a great conversation. It's not the best. Uh, The best one's still to come. It's the one I wish I was there for. I'm glad I wasn't there for this one because it would have been embarrassing. Uh, And they come and and, um, they're obviously heavenly agents. It says they're afraid, bow their faces to the earth, and said, and... uh, This is their response. These two men's response to them is, Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
you aren't prepared for Christ to be alive. When you should have been. You shouldn't even be here. Why are you looking in a graveyard for a live man? What are you even doing here? You shouldn't have even expected Christ's body to be here. What is your problem, people? This is a very accusative state, uh, tone he's taking. He's not here, but he's risen. And then that very important word in verse 6, Remember! Remember! Bring it back into your mind. And for them, he's going to refer to Galilee, which is probably chapter 9, verse 22 that we read earlier. That would have been in the Galilean region. Whereas uh, verse 18, our text for the day, was likely... Um, in the little farther south, between Jericho and Jerusalem, as they near Jerusalem. And it says, You remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Saying the Son of Man must be living in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. Don't you remember he told you? And finally we get to verse 8 and we go, Phew. And they remembered his words. An empty tomb didn't remind them. Two agents of heaven had to show up and say, what are you doing here? Don't you remember what he said? Did he say, when I die, make sure you have me properly embalmed? No. He says, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Why aren't you expecting it? Why aren't you anticipating that? You come here prepared for the opposite of what he said. You came here prepared to deal with a dead body. Think about that. They had extra spices and ointments and all the things to, to properly give him a royal treatment burial. They were prepared for normal. They were prepared for natural. They were totally unexpecting the supernatural. Sounds like your life and mine, doesn't it? We're prepared this week for the natural. Are you prepared for the supernatural? Are you prepared for God to do great things in and around us? And frankly, we don't pray like that. And I was convicted by that by Pastor Philip Wednesday night. We don't pray for the supernatural. We don't believe there is such a God like that. We prove it by our prayers. We aren't prepared. We are walking around with embalming fluids. We're prepared only for the natural. We're prepared for the norm. We're prepared to cover the smell of death. And God says, I'm prepared to eliminate death. God says, I'm going to give victory over death, and I'm coming over to cover the smell of death. And that is the best man can do. They were unprepared for the supernatural. And so they had to be called upon to, re to remember. And they did remember. They finally remembered his words. Oh, what have we been doing? And you just kind of walk. He, I, I just envisioned them walking back. And says, well, you didn't remember either. Well, I did, but I didn't tell anybody. You know, you can just, you know, that's the conversation today. I just imagine hearing. They finally remembered. And they head back. But it's, that's the ladies. And they return and they tell them and no one's believing them. Verse 11, they're, they're, you girls are crazy. You've gone loco. You're, you're stressed out too much. Just, it's gone. It, it, it's okay. Just, 
sit down. You didn't sleep well enough last night. Uh, it says they were, it sounded like idle tales, except for one guy or two guys, and that's Peter and John. They run to the tomb. They couldn't believe the report. They wanted to go see the empty tomb, and it's there and it's empty again. But then we have another time, and this is the time that I wish I had been there. Um, I think we have the, the text of that given to us really in the book of Acts, but I would have loved to have heard this. And if there's anything that is unrecorded of Jesus' words, it is these words that uh, I would have enjoyed having. Um, but God, I think, has given them to us, like I said, in the book of Acts. I think these are the words that the disciples used when they preached. Because if you read the disciples' early sermons, they sounded just like this. A couple of guys walking the road to Emmaus, talking about what has happened over when Christ joins him. Uh, their eyes are restrained so they can't know him. They did not know him. This wasn't about them uh, being blind, about them uh, self-willed, but God had put it so they could not recognize him. And uh, he starts to engage them about what went on. They're like, where have you been? You know, haven't you... Uh, you know, you've been, what, what rock have you been hiding under? You don't know what's going on around Jerusalem these days. Verse 19, let's pick up. Jesus said to them, what things? So they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And certain women, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And so they're willing to recount the whole thing. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. And this was the problem. It wasn't that they could not cognitively understand the words. It was that they were foolish and slow of heart. It was the hardness of their heart. They didn't want to believe what they heard, and therefore they chose not to understand it and not hear because they couldn't believe it. They had painted their picture of what Christ would be instead of accepting who Christ said He was, the Lamb of God. Verse 25 continues. Back up. Well, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And again, we have that connection to our passage in uh, verse 8 and chapter 18 that all that the prophets have spoken are going to be fulfilled. Now he's going to elaborate on that with, this, with these two men. And he says, All the prophets have spoken. Why don't you believe all that they wrote? You want to believe this sliver because it's, it's, you like it. You like to believe this sliver of what the prophets wrote about the kingdom. But you refuse to believe all that they wrote. And all they wrote included this statement that Jesus Christ would come and suffer and die. Not for His own sins, but for the sins of others. It's in the Psalms. It's in... It's in each of the major prophets. It's in most of the minor prophets. It's all there. And, and he says, you won't only believe part of it. You don't believe it all. 
And then verse 27, this is what I would have loved to have heard. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. That would have been a Sunday school lesson. Wouldn't have it? Wow. He starts off back there in Moses. And the writings of Moses are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So he's not talking about the time of Moses, but the writings of Moses. He starts with the writings of Moses, which is Genesis. He starts at Genesis and goes all the way through the Scriptures, all the way to Malachi, and expounds to them what they say about Christ, about the Messiah. Wow. Wow. That is a conversation I would have enjoyed being the receiving side of. And I've told you, I think we have some understanding of what that was. Because we have Peter's sermon. We have Stephen's sermon. We have uh, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. We have, we have many of the sermons and writings of the early apostles, of the apostles and early men of the faith. And what do you find over and over again? Where do they start? Oh, they don't start with the virgin birth. They don't start with the miracle Cana. They don't start anywhere near there. They start way back at the beginning. And start to expound. This is what the prophets meant. This is what the law was pointing to. This is who it was all pointing to. And Jesus Christ in this conversation is going to set a standard that's going to tremendously impact the preaching of the early church. And this is what the preaching of the early church was. is to start with the writings of Moses, Genesis, and through all the prophets, all the way through all the Scriptures, expound all the Scriptures, the things concerning Jesus Christ. That was the preaching of the church. And that, my brethren, must be the preaching of the church today as well. You might say, oh, but we don't know what Jesus exactly said. No, but we find its impact on the preaching and teaching and the writing of that first generation of these men who heard this conversation. They heard Jesus communicate this, this information and they did likewise. It became the standard for their preaching. To say, here we go, from Genesis right through, let me tell you about Jesus. And sometimes thousands got saved, and sometimes they got stoned to death. And many things in between. But that's how they preached to the Jews. That's how they communicated Christ. Through all the Scriptures, all the Scriptures point to Christ. We know this, but do we remember it? And that's the focus this morning. Why do, we, why do we take so much effort to celebrate Christ's resurrection? Um, the same reason we participate in, in the, the Lord's table together. We are told repeatedly that we are to remember. Remember. Bring it back to your memory, not just for cognitive pleasure to remember, but to remember it so it impact your life. 
so that we will be prepared for what we are going to have to engage in in this world, so we'll be prepared for that day of the Lord when it comes and for the resurrection. Oh, if we would just remember His words. Tribulation would never surprise us. We're not going to be carrying around embalming fluids. We're not going to be carrying around spices and stuff to cover up the stink of death. We're going to be conquering death. We're going to be unafraid of death because death has no victory. Death has no power over us. If we would just remember the teachings of Christ in His Word. And if we would just remember His words. Not just the syntax of them and the order and, and memorize it for wrote to get your verse signed off or we're life clubs. But if we really dwell on what His words mean, that we would be prepared and unsurprised by the resurrection when it comes. What a sad dissertation on the disciples that they were dull and didn't understand because they didn't believe it. They heard the words all right. They didn't understand them because they didn't come in conformity with their belief system. And instead of changing their belief system, they simply ignored the message. And this is the case too often. Is that we have our belief system and we're fine with the words of Jesus that conform to that. But when we encounter words of the, God's Word that don't conform to our belief system, what do we do? Well, I don't know what that means. We don't really know what that means. No one really understands that stuff. That's a lie. What that means is I don't want to conform my beliefs to God's Word. So I'm going to have to adjust them radically sometimes. Brother, we must be prepared for this world. The resurrection is the power by which we do that. But we must engulf it into our life. And when that happens, when we have truly absorbed it and become part of who we are, we will be fully prepared and anticipating both tribulation in this world and the coming of Jesus Christ. So that when He comes, we will be in the right state he will truly find faith on the earth because we remember His words. And His words were, I will suffer, but I will rise again. And He also said, take up your cross and follow Me. And you too will participate in the resurrection. If we remember and prepare our lives built upon that, we can engage anything in this world and we will be ready when Christ comes to be received into His kingdom without tears. But it will demand of us to conform our belief system to His Word and not just to ignore it because we don't like it because it doesn't fit into my preconceived notions of what is and isn't. And this is the work that we do every day as a believer when we come to God's Word. It's the work I do all week long. So I come and say, I, um, I believe this, but here's God's Word that challenges that. So now I'm, I have to do something with that. And that is a profitable activity if I'm willing to remember and listen to the words and seek their understanding. Then I'll bring them into my life and conform my beliefs 
to God's Word instead of the reverse, trying to conform God's Word to my beliefs. See, the disciples had a belief system. They believed that Jesus was going to bring the kingdom. That he was going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to exercise his incredible power that he has proven to them for years that he has and possesses. And that is what they believed. Judas, I think, believed it. They believed it. And so they wouldn't refuse to understand the truth of what Christ said. Brethren, I'm going to challenge you. I think there are a lot of things we believe that are not in conformity with God's Word. And when we are confronted with God's Word consistently and, we, and it challenges our beliefs, the question is, are you going to be dull of hearing or are you going to remember? Oh, I have to change my beliefs. I have to conform my beliefs to His Word. I'm not going to be dull of hearing. I'm going to remember that when God gives His Word, that is truth. And I'll bank on it. Or that we would conform ourselves and be ready, prepared for the supernatural working of God in us and for us. In us to endure tribulation in this world, to live holy, righteous, and godly in this godless world. And for us, that we might be prepared for that day of resurrection when it comes.